Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is a High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has huge significance. In fact, they're all principles that underpin our SWAT community. We have almost 150 like-minded members and if you join, you'll be able to access winter training and summer racing plans for all types of race with a variety of weekly training volumes catering for all levels of experience, right from beginners through to the seasoned athletes qualifying for Great Britain age group vests. If you're interested in joining us for the 2023 season, please check out the very obvious link in the show notes below. Now, today's guest is Garen Mosley, an elite age group triathlete. Garen qualified to race at the recent Ironman World Championships in Hawaii, which is where we caught up. But as you'll hear, the trip didn't quite go according to plan. More interesting to me, though, was the fact that Garen started wearing a whoop band and has made some pretty significant changes to his life with some amazing results as a result of analysing his sleep data. So let's crack on and hear all about Garen's story. Welcome to the show, Garen Mosley. Thanks, Simon. Good to be here. Yeah, well, good to be here for all of us. We're in Kona. We're sat here overlooking the golf course in the Pacific Ocean, the sun's shining. It's, uh, it's pretty much a paradise, isn't it, regardless of whether you're a triathlete or not? Yes, and certainly after, after race, it's, it is nice to relax and actually enjoy the paradise that it is. Yeah, so um, you and I have been connected for quite some time. When, when I look back through our Facebook Messenger um, commentary, conversation, I think we were chatting about certain things way back in 2017 and 2018. Um, and then we briefly met on Saturday. So it was probably the 1st or 2nd of October. And you introduced yourself to me just after we'd all both had a swim and we were showering off by the beach there. Yes. Um, so, but unfortunately, you didn't get to race this year. Yes, unfortunately, um, a little bit of a crash on the Queen K that left me with a broken rib. So, one of those things. Um, and unfortunately, it was the second time I didn't get to race because just before Frankfurt, I tested positive for COVID. So, a lot of training has gone into this year. Um, a lot of good training and a lot of um, enjoyable training has gone into this year. Mm. Um, so it's just, it's just a pity we weren't able to validate the, mm. the, the two training blocks. So it's not your first time here, is it? You've been here three times before? Yes. Yeah, so 2014 was the first time I came and honestly thought that that was just my, my bucket list, my experience. Um, but going away from that in 2014, I, sort of looked at what I'd done and realized that there was certainly room for improvement. Came back then in 2016 um, and ended up sixth in my age group. And again, went went back almost with with the attitude that I, I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve, only to reflect then again that there were obviously more improvements that could be made. 2018 came around um, and I was back here again. It was a very good year for, for times and that sort of thing. Mm. So had 
had a lovely 2018 and then basically went away with kind of, with kind of the same approach that I thought I'd given as much as I could and through, through the training and that and, and what I was doing, what, what I, what I set out to do, I would have said I got 95% there, but again, there were more improvements. The technologies were getting better. There was better data coming from, from wearables and that sort of thing. And I think it, it just gave me an opportunity to try and improve once again, um, and focus on areas that we hadn't potentially touched on in, 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 in previous years. So when you finished here in Kona, how, how do you measure success? Is it about the time that you do, or is it about executing all of the component parts of that day? And then the time is what it may be, depending on the conditions and, and everything, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, I would say, I would say, it's very difficult to compare times in, in, in Kona. I've been fortunate that my times have always gotten better, but I, I do feel that that's maybe because of, of the year that was in it. And I really don't know what, what the actual time would have been mm. on, on, on Saturday. But in terms of success, I think it's a package deal. Um, it's, it's obviously, I, I would have loved to have been on a podium. Um, that would have been, uh, checkbox number one, but also the, the journey that, I, that I'd taken mm. to get here. How many, how many checkboxes I'd ticked on the way here. Um, and I, and I'm not only saying, you know, making sure that training peaks was green every week or, 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 or things like that, but in terms of health, in terms of growth, in terms of commitments, both, family, um, personal, and then, and then work commitments. So I suppose the learnings within life, um, that would have been a, 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 a big success. And I think this year I certainly had fun in both of my training blocks, which I've never really had before. Um, I don't think I ever got it to a point where okay, now I just want to race or I'm tired of, of the training now, mm. you know, so. Yeah, and you hear that a lot with people, don't you, that, that have either going up to their first time or, or outlaw event, wherever that may be, or when they've qualified for here is in the last couple of weeks, you hear them saying, oh, I just want it to be over now. And I always think that's so sad in the journey that that, and that almost means you've overcooked it and you put too much into it. And yeah, it's was, become overwhelming. And it certainly happened to me before and you're almost waiting for it because, You've done this so often, you know, through, and you're almost waiting for this. When am I going to hit this? Okay. I'm tired of this now. And even, even the two, three weeks before I was genuinely enjoying every session. Um, enjoying a swim is, has, has never been something I do, but you know, it's, it, it was never an effort to get up. It was never an effort to go mm -hmm. to a session. Um, there was massive amounts of focus on recovery. This, this time. So I think just in terms of what I was doing potentially and the way I was looking at, at each of the sessions, making sure I was recovered, doing, doing sessions slightly harder or slightly less than I should have been, depending on, on, on how the body was actually feeling. 
maybe that added to the fact that it just wasn't burnt out the three weeks before. Mm. You mentioned that you weren't able to race in Hamburg because you had COVID. So did you qualify in a previous year then for this year's Yeah, uh, so Canada? last year, so what was last year, 2021, um, Ironman Austria was pushed into September mm -hmm. um, and qualified there. Great, so. great, great race Ironman Austria. My, one of my, I think it's probably my favorite. Yeah, certainly um, I've done it twice um, and I've done 18 others around the world and Ironman Austria still has to be the, it's, it's the most fun you can have on a bike. I, I just absolutely love the Austrian bike course. I would say my, my favorite before that was Ironman Canada when it was in Penticton, and then they moved it to Worcester for a few years. So um, it, it makes me happy that they've gone back there now. So now that that's back on the calendar, I'd have to say it was a, it was a toss up between those two. So, um, you know, it's, it's very similar type of layout, the towns at the end of the lake. Um, you know, the, the ride is at one side of the lake and over there's, there's, there's a lot more climbing in Canada, but the descents are pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. And, um, the run is down by the side of the lake. Yeah. I've um, been fortunate to do the 70.3 in Montremblanc. Um, and that is also sort of a town in a lake, mm. small town in a lake. And yeah. then you ride out on a, on what I like to call a, a fair bike course there's it's, mm. it's undulating it's um mm -hmm. it's not tremendously fast but you, you can have fun on it just explain um to give a bit of context to you not racing just explain to us the accident if you can because this wasn't the decision where you made it oh my achilles is a little sore or my knee hurts so i'm not feeling so good and i don't think i'm gonna go you were you were pretty much ruled out of this on a on a sort of serious injury basis were you too serious to consider racing yeah, so we were seven days out. It was an easy three-hour ride. I think, looking back, my heart rate was at about ninety-eight when I actually, when I actually um, came off the bike. Mm -hmm. So um, we were just cruising. It it was one of those freak accidents. There was a vehicle on the side of the road who was picking up somebody who had punctured. In all fairness to them, they'd left me enough space where I didn't have to go out onto the road. As I moved. As I moved over, though, a truck basically came past. So he was on. He wasn't over the line either. So he no, was no. on his part of the carriageway. You were on yours. Yeah, like com complete freak accident. He sort of sucked me in. I overcorrected because I got a fright. Um, ended up going over the handlebars at around about forty-five kilometers an hour, and bounced on, <laughs> bounced on my back um, and broke a rib. Yeah. Um, Plus you don't. You don't look to have got too much uh, um, road not, rash. There. Not too much road rash, really. Just just on my back and my shoulders. Yeah. Um, the airline has already asked for a fit to fly, um, and I've kind of said, "Well, no one will know the difference. You know, there's no facial scars or anything like that." Mm. So, I was exceptionally lucky. Um, the the vehicle that I was that I was trying to to pass out on the side of the road. Um, I ended up missing him by about a meter. So it could have ended a, a, a whole lot worse. And if it's, if it's one rib, um, my two, two teammates behind me, one of them actually had to swerve into the road to, to miss me. So again, things could have ended up a whole lot worse. So mm. it just, it was an unfortunate freak accident. So, 
There you are. It's an unfortunate freak accident and you seem to have a very balanced and sort of gracious perspective on it. Could have been much worse. However, six days out from the race, you're now having to contemplate quite seriously the fact that you aren't going to be able to take part in the event. And it's a lot more, it's always expensive to get to Kona, but it's a lot more expensive this year. And you've already not been able to race in Hamburg. Um, how does that affect your mind? And, and you know, how do you, how are you feeling now about the whole thing? Are you still able to, to sort of see the big picture or was there some element of sort of kicking the toys around the, you know, <laughs> the lounge and throwing things out the window? I'd like to think I was fairly, fairly calm. Obviously there was, there was disappointment. It's, it is a massive financial, um, cost for, for any age group to come to come to Kona. Um, I'd made the, the decision that I would come three weeks prior to the race so that I could acclimatize properly and that sort of thing. Um, I had two other teammates that were still going to race. Um, I think my mind was taken off that by just trying to support them. Um, and I genuinely felt happy and content that I'd put in an effort that would have given me a solid race performance. Mm. And yes, I didn't get to, to validate that, but this year's journey, as I say, has been, has been a fun journey. It's been a learning journey. I've, I've, I've opened my mind to a whole lot more things in, in, mm. in terms of going to the gym, uh, stretching. And I think, I closed that all off because I'd almost learned, I'd learned how to qualify for Kona. I'd learned how to race Kona and it was almost being safe. And I was having so much fun learning this year. And if, if I take anything away from it, other than actually validating the race, I've had a great year. Um, I know it's, I mm. uh, haven't raced anything, but I still think I've had a great year and I, Taking that forward into whatever we, we, we end up doing after this, what we do next year, what we do into the future. It's, it's been a great learning experience. Mm. I mean, that's, that's a remarkably pragmatic approach. And, um, no doubt you'll build, you, you will build. And I guess you have from the disappointment with Hamburg as well. That's two within a few, within a few months. You know, you build an awful lot of resilience for life, don't you? Cause life has disappointments, whatever you're doing. And um, some of them are things you can't control, but you still have to deal with them. And that, I think, demonstrates the, the, the mark of a person is how they handle those um, and then how they move forward and use that to, to sort of make themselves a stronger person. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's with everything. Yeah, I mean, mm. and one of the things that triathlon has, has taught me is how to manage other areas in my life, time-wise, commitment-wise, um, structure wise how i approach bringing new things into even even the company um into my life and that uh, you know i'm i'm willing to give something the time um i don't believe anyone can can say nutrition or a change in nutrition is going to work after two weekends you know mm -hmm. it, i i have learned it's a it's a three to a six month process where you actually have to you have to look at the data. You really have to know why you felt good on that particular Saturday ride. Was it the fact that 
I just got to bed earlier was it the fact that I haven't had a glass of wine for the whole week. You know, you, mm. you, you have to start juggling all the variables before you can kind of say, well, it was, it was those new, <laughs> new gels I threw. And I think everything takes time. And if, if you can appreciate that, then you've, you've learned something from it. Mm. Yeah, that's a sort of a hugely mindful approach to take through life. Now, let's circle around then and talk about all of these life changes that you've mentioned a couple of times already. On your wrist, I see that you're wearing a whoop. Actually, that was one of the things that I noticed when we met um, by the beach on the Saturday. And I've been a, um, I'm a big fan of whoop. I'm not wearing mine now, actually. I'm giving it a break for a few months, but I've been using it for uh, probably five and a half years now. So since they first came out through several iterations um, where the data's got better. And I've had conversations with people that have used them. I've recommended them to quite a few clients and, and athletes that are within our group. Um, and I, I'm really interested to explore um, how that's helped you because Whoop really is, most people think it's a sleep tracker. And most people to start with, including myself, focus on the day-to-day results. And as you get used to it, you learn that actually they're less important than the general trends and the behavioral changes. So um, you say you've learned a lot this year. So, yeah, so let's, um, let's, let's start getting into the weeds about what, what that's really taught you and what you have learned. So I probably got it early January um, of this year when I was doing a lot of run training for the Manchester Marathon. Um, we did, an event I did participate in, in, in this year. Um, and the data looked fairly consistent and I understood it, it, it would start building data. Um, and what, what data were you mostly focused on to start with then? HRV? So yes, I'd, I tracked HRV previously through, I think it was CoreSense. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it was the device or, or the platform or whatever, Nothing, nothing really seemed to change. So I was looking at this basically to track my, my strain or my stress based on work. Mm. Um, ah, so that was interesting. So you didn't just want the stress from training. You wanted stress that was, um, from work. Cause I think that that's also something that I've, I learned many years ago is that all stresses are cumulative, but I think a lot of people try to separate them out into different silos, don't they? And think yeah, that, well, and this is training and this is work and one can sort of uh, erase the other. So one of the, one of the metrics that um, training peaks doesn't give you is how hard you've worked during the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm in no way a physical, you know, I'm, I'm a computer programmer. So it's a mental strain. Um, I, pretty much sit, sit at a desk the whole day and some some of those days are eight hours and some of those days are 14 hours and I needed some way to understand the strain that that was adding to my actual day mm. um, it's very easy to say well a, a run session added 60 TSS or you know a swim session added 45 and those numbers but there was all this additional strain even walking through a mall on a Sunday when you should be relaxing adds, adds to a strain. So I would say I was very interested in, in, in the, in the strain and everything I was, I was reading was, well, this is a way to, to give me more balance on what I was doing for the complete day. 
Um, have you um, have you ever? I don't know if you ever read um, Alex Hutchinson's book Endure. No, I haven't. It's a really interesting book because he looks at some of the science and the research, and in there, there's a a bit of research where they um, they got cyclists to ride to exhaustion, and then after the group, let's say it was twenty of them, had done this test, they then split them up, and they gave half of them a series of really mentally challenging tasks sitting at a computer. So just like you've described, but over 90 minutes. And the other group were just able to sit and watch the telly or read the papers. They had no stressful challenge at all. And then after that 90 minutes was up, they got them all to go back to the bikes and do the same um, time to exhaustion. And the group who'd been doing the uh, challenging mental tests were, I think they were about 10 to 15% less so they were shorter on their time to exhaustion but also as they got on the bike they said oh that from that first pedal stroke my legs just felt weary and I was tired and and I I think there's other research that corroborates this fair enough but his point there is and this is particularly relevant for people perhaps when they're tapering for a triathlon and they've they've got less training so they do more work to compensate to fill up the time especially if you're going off off grid for a few weeks is that actually that work that's mentally challenging could be the very thing that's affecting your performance on race day and people don't realize. Yes, so that's, you know, um, certainly. And one of the other things, the the daily strain, because because the whoop is, is continuous and I can see exactly where my strain is before I get on the bike at half past five or six, to, to go and do a, a, another session. Through that strain, I also know how much more I have to feel before mm. the session because I've, I've been under strain for the afternoon potentially. And whereas I would have normally just gotten onto the bike, maybe had a little bit of electrolytes in a bottle, I would now go and have a banana or, um, an additional protein shake or something like that to actually get me through that session. Even though I'd had lunch and all that, it, I just had an understanding that the afternoon was mm. fairly strenuous on, on the body. And I would, I would look at it from that aspect. So I think from the whoops side, side of things, the strain was certainly more than heart rate variability, more than um, resting heart rate, uh, skin temperature, and everything that it, it it has. It was the the strain element and the continuous monitoring. Mm. The other thing I obviously liked about the Whoop is that it has no interface on the actual band. You're never looking at it. You're never lo- looking at the time on it. It's not a mm. it's not a distraction. Um, and pretty much had the the Whoop from from day one on on my arm. Um, and I woke up in the hospital um, six days ago and the whoop was gone. And I thought it, so if, if you have a look, I've got a little bit of road rash. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's obviously dug in as you've so landed. I actually thought I'd ripped the whoop off. And all, right. all I wanted to be able to do was to, to be able to go back and look at the strain that yeah. the accident had actually put it on. Yeah. So one of the guys picked the whoop up. At, at, at the actual crash. Oh, so it did come off. Oh, it did come off. Right. Like, okay. And it, it, 
and he he gave it back to me the next day, put it straight on so that I could knew it, so that I had the data on yeah. how quickly the body was going to recover and how much inflammation and stress and strain mm. the actual accident had had put on that. So yeah, it, it's 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 become something I, I use all the time. So what, what have you found then about how what what's your HRV been like since that impact? Because I think again, I and like you do, we, we mix amongst cyclists and there are people that we know crashing all the time and often they're just tumbling off and particularly if it's in the winter, they're not getting any gravel rash, they're just a bit beat up and they're bruised. Yeah. But it's an impact on all of your vital organs when you land generally. You know, where you've landed, you've you've landed and really stressed your rib cage, obviously you've broken a rib, so then that's all of the vital organs that were in on your torso there have taken a heavy beating. Um and that's that's like a pummeling. That's like a, that's like going ten rounds with Mike Tyson, isn't it? Exactly. So you, you'd expect that your HRV would go through the floor. Is that what you've seen? Um, yes and no. So I I think the drugs they had me on uh, okay prevented the HRV from crashing. So if I can go back to to earlier in the year, I I was basically training day in day out, getting results, recovering well. Mm. Um, but there was no, there was no massive jumps in, 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 in the actual strain until I traveled. Ah, okay. So the first time I saw the, uh, a, a, a major decrease in the heart rate variability was when I was, when I traveled and the app that morning gave me an alert that my HRV was, let's call it, 25% less than what it what the normal range was. Is that a long haul flight? It it wasn't long, but it was a long trip. So I had a car journey from Limerick to Dublin. I had a flight from Dublin to Birmingham and then a, a delayed train journey from Birmingham to Manchester. Um so on the go the the, the whole day and mm. the first the the whoop actually gives you a lot of information as to why your heart rate variability may have come down. One of the things that it says is, you, you know, you might have consumed alcohol the night before. Yeah. You, you might have taken a flight. You might be traveling. And it was like, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and they were spot on with that. Um, so the actual traveling before the, the Manchester Marathon, I hadn't quite got back to, to my recovery because we, we just left on the Friday, the marathon was on the, uh, on the Sunday. So tracking back to the, the actual accident, then, um, I was expecting it to come down to about 30%, um, of, of, of my recovery straight after the accident. It only came down to about 50, but I, I think that was because of the morphine that they initially gave me. And then I had an anti-inflammatory drug. And a painkiller, and it was a it was a narcotic that I actually had to wait an hour at the pharmacy because they needed approved. So two two fairly strong drugs, mm. um, and I think that masked the recovery um, effect. I don't I, I'm I, I don't like taking tablets, so I came off them fairly quickly. So it was day three by the time I stopped the painkiller. Um, and day four, then that I stopped the um, anti-inflammatory. So it's always, it's always a really difficult one, that isn't it? Though, because if 
without that, you're probably not getting any sleep. So then it's what's the what's the worst of those two bad situations? Not yeah. getting any sleep or taking taking painkillers. But as soon as I did that, the recovery came down to more what I was expecting. Okay. So for yeah. three days, it was 23, 25, and 24 again. So mm-hmm. that's that's the type of data I was looking at and realized that, well, maybe maybe it was the drugs just masking the initial Maybe the body had enough adrenaline in it to, to to cope with to cope with the first few days, and then and then crashed. Um, I also find that um, any time I've had downtime, um, the recovery does lag potentially over mm-hmm. one or two days. But um, that's sort of the the insights of of, of the data I've had. And you mentioned, obviously, sleep. I wasn't getting good REM or deep sleep. I was getting a lot of light sleep because I was uncomfortable. Um, so catch-22 with, with the meds, effectively, if I was getting a, an eight- or nine-hour um, sleep, could have been slightly different to if, if I'd come off, off the drugs. But, yeah. What did, what did you notice about your HRV after traveling over to Kona? Because that is a long time in the airport as well as a long time in the air. And you're going through 11 hours of time zone change from, from the United Kingdom and Ireland, aren't you? So yeah. it's a big toll on the body. So through the through what I learned on, on the travel side of things, um, I actually broke the trip up. Okay. I have normally flown, I think it was three stops, so or sorry, three flights, one from Dublin to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to uh, San Francisco, and then San Francisco to, to to Kona. And I decided what I'd do is I'd do directly from Dublin. The good thing about um, traveling from Dublin is you do clearance in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to stand in queues in, in airports. So, again, just a little bit of thought around how we were going to travel. And then I spent... The night in in LA, and the next morning had a late a late morning flight into into Kona. So when I got here for the first two days, I was I think in the yellow. So yellow being between I think forty and sixty. Um, those were the only two days then that I, I was recovering. But we certainly didn't go into any red days or, or, or anything like that. Mm. And I think the just, just taking away the, the stress of travel, making it as mm. as easy as possible, making sure that everything was checked through, that we had um, that we had transport and um, shuttles to and from the the hotel we were staying in. It's it just made the whole travel a whole lot easier. So there's a couple of things there. I mean, we did the same this time. We stopped in LA and had a night there, and we made a conscious effort to try and rework our eating times um so that when we got off the plane we'd get into the local california sort of um evening meal time as soon as possible and get to bed so that then you you sort of keep trying to keep in rhythm with your circadian clocks uh, and then we tried to do the same when we got to kona um uh, and that seems to have worked a lot better than just going for it it's pretty much traveling from the uk and Ireland is pretty much 24 hours on the go, isn't it, from when you leave your own home to when you get to your accommodation over here, and that's a long time without any proper sleep. Uh, but um, 
that whole thing about traveling, I remember working with some under 23 GB athletes that had to go from Loughborough to East Midlands. So only a short journey and then fly over to Amsterdam, I think. So again, a short flight and then get a vehicle and drive to somewhere in Holland to Holton, I think it was, to do an under 23 race. But when you piece all of those bits of travel together and the and the bits of waiting in between and the sort of schlepping around with your equipment and your bike bag and everything, it was quite a long travel day. And they'd gone the day before this race and none of them raced very well. And they'd been racing and training really well going up to that. And we could only conclude that it was the toll of the traveling. And I think it's fairly obvious when you're traveling to Hawaii or if you're going to Australia that you're going to be tired. But I think... Most people don't plan around that traveling enough yeah. to, to, to minimize the impact of it. And again, if you, if you are mindful about the data you're getting and you make some notes about how you felt and what happened, I think we could all do a lot more to improve our performance. Yeah. And I, I guess we're going to talk about that as well. It's not just performance as an athlete, it's performance as a human being. I think some decisions come down to the financial cost of, of those decisions too. But in, in the greater scheme of things, the three or four weeks in Cone and the cost that just the trip was, was costing to spend an extra $150 mm. on a, on a hotel room where you can literally, you know, blackout, blackout curtains, have a, have a full 10 hour sleep. That, that was invaluable money. You know, it's, Mm. It's um, well, you would spend. In fairness, if you'd got to Kona a day early, you'd have spent that hundred and fifty pounds on accommodation over yeah. here. So that actually, all you're doing is moving your pay your credit card bill from one state to another, aren't you? Really, Fair you're enough, not yeah. you're not saving any money. But I do take your point. Is some people might have um, might not have the holiday time, and they have to fit things in, and they've got other considerations. Correct, yeah. But I think if you if you do have the capacity to plan those things out a bit more, I mean. Given no an unlimited budget, we'd all be flying private and uh, you know taking the time at uh, yeah. lots of places, wouldn't we? Sleeping, sleeping on the plane, <laughs> sleeping on the plane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go back to some of the other things you noticed. You talked about nutrition. Um, you talked about that working and then realizing that the strain of work um, and doing some training in the evening meant that you needed to be more mindful of your nutrition. Were you taking notes about these little experiments at the times to to touch? to give you some insight into what was working, what doesn't, because it's at the time you think, well, this is fairly obvious, but then if you've been doing, doing some stuff for two or three weeks, it's easy to forget also what worked and what didn't. So um, I have a data analytics company. Okay. Effectively data and, you know, observations is, is what I do for a living. Um, so not necessarily taking notes. Um, I think we can also get too into the, the really fine detail if, mm-hmm. if, if we start taking notes rather than you mentioned that at the, at the beginning, starting to look at trends over time. Um, what happened last night is not necessarily, is not necessarily relevant unless you've looked at mm-hmm. potentially the whole week. If there was a, a, a particular spike or, or, or something like that, I would have, I would be looking back, but it's, it's the trend. Um, I want to see an entire week of green. Um, I'm not too concerned if there's small differences in my um, resting heart rate or whatever. It's it, it's that the trend is good, and if there is a spike or whatever tomorrow, it's back to normal. Um, and I think it's just 
just being mindful and being, you know, um, looking at it on a daily basis mm. rather than, and not, not for long, um, maybe learning, learning what the data actually means, um, s- starting to look. So the one thing Whoop does is a weekly report mm-hmm. and then a monthly report and that can then be shipped to your, your coach or your, your, your PT or, or, or that sort of thing. So going back on those, Whoop is almost capturing the notes for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to do too much a- around it and you're mindful. Again, I can tell you pretty much without taking any notes where the spikes have been this year, like before Manchester Marathon, mm. like after Manchester Marathon, you know, um, put in a good performance there. And then it, it, it did take a, a, a few days to recover. But after Manchester Marathon, we all popped out to a pub too and had three or four beers. So, you know, there's, there's that aspect. To so that, that, and, there's an, and there's an interesting conundrum as well, isn't it? Because we know that alcohol has a, an adverse impact, particularly if you had three or four beers, maybe one or two. And, and also, we, now I've done a couple of podcasts with people and it seems that different different types of alcohol, whether it's whiskey or gin or so spirits or red wine, white wine versus beer, they have different effects and they also have different effects on different people. So it's understanding how that plays out for you. But certainly for a few beers after a marathon, you probably then didn't sleep very well. You know, that's going to have an adverse impact. But then there's the sociable aspect of being with your mates and hanging out and relaxing and we need to i think accept that those things are probably good for us so again it's a bit of a balance isn't it it's it's, you know getting those things right and understanding what works for you and it is again um was invited out pretty much on marathon day we're going for something to eat had no plans whatsoever of sitting down and you know having having three or four pints but it is what it is, and it became a sociable evening, and you don't want to be the one getting up and, and kind of saying, well, you know, tomorrow I've got to catch a plane, I'm going to be tired, et cetera, et cetera. And we all know, yes, I would have loved to have recovered a lot faster, but there is that social aspect. We're age groupers. <laughs> what, and- in, what impact did you notice that COVID had on your um, performances and did you notice that you, you needed an extended period of rehabilitation afterwards? Because I've been talking to some people out here who've said it, they had it six months ago and still feel like they've not fully recovered. So the day I tested for positive for COVID, I had no symptoms whatsoever. Mm. And the whoop, the whoop was basically saying the same. Um, the following morning, I'd had probably the worst night with a fever or a, or, or, um, or chills and, and aches and pains for as long as I can remember. That next morning I was down to about 19% recovery. So it, it gave me an immediate, uh, like you're definitely, um, under a lot of pressure. The system's working. You, you know, your, your body's fighting, fighting COVID, um, and then after that, I worked very, co- very closely with, with Lucy, my coach, to make sure that we also only had 14 weeks before Kona. It was, I, I got a big fright because we didn't know how long mm. it would take to actually recover from 
from COVID. Lucy had had it. Um, it took her about five weeks and she, she played around with a whole lot of, of, um, of my sessions to make sure that she, she maintained really, really hot, low heart rate training. Um, I was ready to go. She wanted one more week. She got one more week. Um, but all, all of that's in the back of your mind too. Again, Krona's coming up. So she managed it particularly well. Um, and every morning I would send her a, a screenshot of, of where we are with, mm. with the whoop. And that's where she decided I thought I was ready to go. The whoop was saying, yes, you can add a little bit, a little bit more strain. And she, she threw experience and, and, and her, her coaching experience and what, what she'd seen with, with other athletes. She dialed it back one more week, um, which, which was perfect. And we built on that and it's, it was certainly not a week lost. I think it put us in a, in, in a much better position for, for the following, for the, for the upcoming weeks. You mentioned those weekly and monthly reports that you get from Wupai. What I particularly like is if you do that little diary where you have to tick all those boxes, you know, did you drink alcohol last night? Did you have sex? Did you sleep in the same bed? You know, did you do this? Did you do that? And then what it does after time, it builds up a picture and it starts giving you on 65% of the occasions where you didn't drink alcohol, you had better REM sleep. And you start thinking, well, that's it. On two thirds of the times when I didn't have any alcohol. Yeah, and then there's that time when, and this is the thing I find most infuriating, and I've and I've spoke to people who use the aura ring and the whoop, and they've had similar. Is when you, when you think that you've had a poor night's sleep, when you don't really feel like you're asleep, when you can remember a few things, when you toss and turn, when you maybe get up to go to the loo two or three times, and it says, yeah, you've had a good night's sleep, and you've got lots of REM sleep, and you've got a good recovery, and then there'll be other times when you think. Wow, that was a great night's sleep. And it says, no, HRV in the red and uh, only two minutes of REM. I'm like, how can that? I mean, have you experienced those as well? So that's an interesting one, actually, because I used to have coffee before I went to bed. Mm. I've got no, no problem sleeping on coffee. Mm. But I was actually getting no sleep. So I was getting light sleep, but I was not getting deep or REM sleep. And as soon as I stopped the coffee at night, that's that light sleep decreased and I got more REM and, uh, sorry, the light sleep decreased. Uh, yes. And I got more REM and, and deep sleep. And I haven't had a cup of coffee. The last thing before I went to bed every day of my life was to have a cup of coffee. Wow. I had no issues with, well, I thought I had no issues with sleep. And as soon as I didn't, it was an observation as, well, I'm getting awesome sleep. So uh, there's a couple of things there that, um, that, that are of interest to me. One is I, I have a friend who, whenever we go out for dinner, he'll have, a, cup, he'll have a, a double espresso or a large espresso, and then we'll go home, and then he'll make himself a cup of instant coffee uh, and to drink before he goes to bed. And he'll say the same. He says, no, I don't have any problems with my sleep, and I go straight off to sleep. I did a podcast with a lady called Dr. Mita Singh, who's from a university in Baltimore, maybe. Might have that wrong. But um, she's a sleep researcher and sleep expert. She was on one of the WHOOP podcasts, actually. And we talked about this specific subject, and she said, our research shows that although these people, so you've exactly what you've just described, fall asleep quickly, 
the quality of the sleep is poor, and that's the in, that that's the interference from the caffeine. And but they never realise that, and so they go through the whole life thinking, well, I could always get to sleep, so therefore my sleep must be okay. But they're setting themselves up for lots of problems because, you know, as we know about what happens when you don't get real good quality sleep, there's lots of long-term impacts. Yeah. So again, it's I I would still be having my cup of coffee if yeah. if if I hadn't just paid some attention to what did I do differently last night that increased that mm-hmm. and those are the monthly reports and that that that's that spike. Um, the questions they ask are very. Ob- are very subjective. Um, well, and you can and you can choose which ones you're going to. You can choose yeah. which ones to answer each day as well, can't you? Sometimes I actually do skip the the questions because they ask me at the most inopportune time. Yeah. Um, but that that journal facility, I, I, I do like it. I have about 10, 10 questions, and now that I know, I suppose what what those insights are from those 10 questions i do need to start thinking around screens screen time and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that we don't watch television much at all um alcohol was very easy to pick up because i wouldn't have alcohol every day of the week or even every every week you know it it would be on 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 a social occasion Mm. so the spikes with alcohol were were fairly easy to pick up, but there are so many other things that we can be tracking screen time when we get off our phone and, and, and stuff like that. And you hear this from the Andrew Hubermans of the world and, and, and their, um, their ideas and, and studies around and sleep. So it's important. And as I said to you, we, all these things take time. So I'm not rushing into looking at. 300 metrics or, you know, um, 300 different, uh, subjective re- re- responses. It's, it's a small set that I can manage that I can see yeah. over a month. This is what's changed. And next month or next in the next block or whatever, we'll, we'll build on that to see where we're going. So you mentioned to me, not only have you seen improvements in your recovery and your training, but you also mentioned to me that you'd seen some other, um, improvements in just the way you deal with life you mentioned that you've got your own business you've got a family your wife's a functional nutritionist is that right yeah so you and you also mentioned that she she'd observed some changes in your daily behaviors and patterns so can you give us an insight into those things and how they affected uh, family relationships how how you are at work how you operate in your business because I, I do think that those are important yeah so i think i think the biggest thing is chasing sleep um, sleep almost becomes a, a goal. Um, and before, let's call it seven, seven o'clock in the evening, I know how much sleep I need to recover. Mm. Um, and I know that by quarter past nine, I need to be in bed if I have an early session or whatever. So effectively I'm chasing, I'm chasing sleep. Yeah. Um, and, I think because I am fully recovered, I'm more more aware. I'm not I'm not chasing sessions under pressure. Um, there's more clarity at work. Um, 
Did it's, you mention something to me about feeling like you become more productive as well? Certainly. And, but I do push that back to the amount of sleep I'm actually getting now. Okay. Again, I've, I've been down the road of getting up to do a session at four o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning and, and smashing, you know, smashing the rest of the day. Also, I thought I was smashing the rest of the mm-hmm. day, but yeah, you know, um, it's, it comes back to drinking coffee if, if you think you're doing it, but there's nothing actually telling you, well, you're kidding yourself. Um, it's, I see so many people getting up for an early Saturday morning ride. It's the only, the, the only time of the week that we've got that we can actually stay in bed until nine o'clock. Why not? You know, mm. um, the whoop has a great facility on it that it wakes you up when you've actually recovered. So it will vibrate if, so that you're not actually wasting time in bed. Sometimes it's just nice to be in bed, but yeah. Um, so I think once, once you're getting the sleep, once you're managing the strain, um, the pressure of life just seems to get a, a, so I'm not as irritable. I'm not under pressure. And I think normal everyday life stress, um, goes from that. That's, I mean, what I'm most amazed at here are these behavioral changes that, that you've, that you've made having observed the impact of certain things. That coffee thing is huge, I think. And so is the alcohol. And, I, and both of those I've heard repeatedly from other people who have, um, looked at the data from, and, and the trends from sleep trackers and, uh, and then acted upon them and seen the benefits and then said, you know, actually, I don't need to drink, you know, I thought I did, but I don't. And actually, I like I like all the benefits. Um, and the, the more I learn about sleep, the more I realise that it's that the it's the foundation for everything we do in our lives, isn't it? Everything. And there's, I, I don't, I personally don't see any circumstances for any of us where more sleep is going to have negative impact. Yeah. Um, and I, and equally, I I don't see any circumstances where consuming less alcohol is going to be. A negative. I mean, I know some of my friends might think I'm a little boring if I don't drink alcohol, and there'd be times when I probably do. Just, just know when we're away. But there's a lot of other times when it's nice, like you said, just to go weeks without it, and you do notice um, how much better your sleep is. I, I, I will tell you a little story. I went on a, I went on a training camp with a client of mine who has a house in Barbados, so another beautiful island. But while we were there, there was just me and him. We got up at 5.30 every morning because if you want to ride, that's just the best time. It just gets so hot like hot. it does here. On most mornings we were riding, on a couple of mornings we were running, and then we'd swim in the evenings before um, sun went down at 5 o'clock. We got back from our ride, we had a shower, we had breakfast together, sitting on the deck out of the sun, just watching the ocean. No news on, no telly, no newspapers, just me and him chatting. Then we went off and isolated ourselves in the different rooms and did our work and then we had, we met and had lunch and we did the same thing sat on the deck looked out to sea just watched the birds and the waves and everything and then did more work in the afternoon then went for a swim and then in the evening we cooked our own dinner and we sat and chatted out in the dark with the stars and then we went to bed at about nine o'clock and we we had the same routine for three weeks and, and we trained pretty hard and that that was the best spell of hrv and green scores that I'd ever had. And I was getting fantastic sleep. There was no alcohol. And we both could, we both commented on how great we felt. And we were trying to think, well, why, why is it happening here and not there? And I can only think it was like we had 
we're out we're outside a lot we're getting a lot of early daylight in our eyes we had a great sleep routine we weren't drinking any alcohol we had coffee in the morning but none, nothing out after that we had evening meal at a reasonable time to get in our circadian rhythms and we didn't have any distractions from social media and yeah. you know screens and so when and then we were saying well why can't we how, how can we replicate this when we get back to the uk and of course all those little distractions in your own home start to come back in don't they yeah and i mean i think i've i've, I've coached or, or mentored let's call it that a few athletes over over the years and it's the the next or the next time somebody does want want some advice um the best advice or the starting question is not how much how, how many hours can you train a week it's how can you get eight hours sleep yeah and are you going to be able to get eight hours sleep on what what you're going to do and if people say no and they're watching two hours of television a night then yes there's a change in lifestyle, but I'm, I, I'm my my starting point. As I say, chasing sleep is effectively chasing eight to eight and a half hours of, of sleep. And I I was certainly one of the people who thought I could get away with five five and a half hours sleep. But yeah, that's again a, a total shift in my thinking this year, mm-hmm. and it's. It's changed everything in, in my life. Not only, not only my training, it's changed my, my business. It's changed my work. I, I think it's changed my, my personal and relationship. I'm a lot calmer. Um, I'm less stressed and I, I, I seriously believe that's, that's been the, the, the major benefit from, from the whoop in the end. Maybe that's what's contributed to you being able to handle this latest setback so effectively fair enough <laughs> well i mean we don't know do we but i i do think that you see a lot of people that out here as well that are just so hyper and stressed and you know want to get everything done that they're they're in that constant state of cortisol production yeah. um but it's been it's been a fantastic story and I, I i love that confirmation of you know if you can use a piece of technology and you can take the long-term view and act upon the information you receive. You can make some hugely positive changes, and it's not just—it's not just some, um, you know, flash-in-the-pan gadget that's, that's going to burn out. Is it? it has huge lifestyle implications and, and long-term health benefits. And I suppose just to just to end on on that, and, and probably a point that that Andrew came up with. Every, every day we get a score, um, and she started asking the question before you look at your store at your score mm-hmm. can you predict your score um and every morning i kind of i get close most mornings some mornings i'm totally out but it's it's that whole idea that i'm not just looking at a screen for a number i'm actually really feeling what that number should be you know and she's she kind of said you know, obviously we're paying a subscription to it and that. How long do we want to use it? Well, it's, it's there for at least the next two years, but, um, that is the next thing to, to actually know what, what the body and where the body is. Mm. Brilliant. Gara Mosley. Hopefully we'll see you in Kona again, fighting fit and on the start line. But for now, it's, it's thank you for sharing that story with us and, uh, 
hopefully some of our listeners will be minded to follow in your footsteps. That's excellent. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Simon. Thank you again to Garen for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. Also, don't forget to check out the links for joining our SWAT community. And if you are interested in using the Whoop, I have a link which will get you one free month of subscription when you sign up. That's all for now. Have a great week and I will see you on the next episode.